So I am uh, totally excited to be here with you guys, but you're not that excited to have me. Let's just be honest. It's always weird having a guest speaker and you don't know anything about me. You're now stuck with me for a while. It's almost like you're on a blind date with a preacher. That is no one's idea of a good time. And so I thought I would start out by kind of breaking the ice by sharing a little bit of who I am. So, so here's me. Um, my mother is Jewish. My father was a professional poker player in Las Vegas. You might guess that they didn't take me to church a whole lot. And you would be right. I actually never went to church. Not one single time growing up. Not only that, I, I say I never met a Christian. I must have, but no one ever identified themselves that way. No one ever mentioned Jesus or invited me to church. And so growing up, I literally knew nothing about God or Jesus or Christianity. And I went off to college, and on the uh, Easter morning of my sophomore year in college, I was sitting in my dorm room. I was waiting for my girlfriend to go out to lunch. She was late, as usual, and so I turned on the TV. Uh, We had three channels. We didn't have cable, and so I flipped through the three channels, and every channel had on what I consider to be a dumb religious show. And and so I would have just turned the TV off, but the last one I hit looked uh, potentially comical. It, It was this older man, like, very much older, and he was sitting, like, way sunk down in this big red leather chair. He was kind of like this, and it was just, like, just staring at the camera. I'm like, what is that? And, and then he started to talk, and I'll never forget what he said. He, he said, now, we've been discussing the last week of Jesus Christ's life, and today I'm going to talk to you about, and then he named something from Jesus' life. I didn't know what it was, went right over my head. I don't remember. And then he said, now, most scholars believe that this event happened on the Tuesday of Jesus' last week. But today I will prove to you through the evidence that it actually occurred on the Wednesday of Jesus last week. First thing I ever heard about Jesus. And I thought about that for a minute. I was like, yes, that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. I mean, I admit, I don't know anything about Jesus, but if he lived at all, it's like 2,000 years ago, and you're talking about Tuesday or when, seriously, turn off the TV in disgust, knock on the door, went out to lunch. But, but for reasons I could not explain at the time, I could not stop thinking about that guy. All day, I just had all these questions going through my head like, uh, like, why do you use the word evidence? I mean, what kind of evidence would there be for something that long ago? And, uh, and why did he care if it was Tuesday or Wednesday? And did anyone ever get him out of that chair? <laughs> just all these questions, you know? And, and so that night, I was sitting in my girlfriend's dorm room, and I, uh, I looked up and noticed on her bookshelf that she had a Bible. Just never noticed that before. And I said, hey, why do you have a Bible? And she went, oh, yeah, somebody gave that to me years ago as a gift. I don't know. And, and I said, can I borrow it? And she's like, you can have it. If you don't want it, throw it out. I don't need it back. And I was like, cool, thanks. Took this Bible back to my dorm room. Uh, and, and so I opened it just kind of out of curiosity. And um, I had never touched a Bible in my life in, until that moment. And, and I didn't know how it would be set up, like, when I opened it. But I, I assumed it would be like the TV Guide by day and time because of the whole Tuesday, Wednesday debate that was apparently tearing up Christianity. <laughs> and so 
this was a student Bible. I don't know if you've ever seen a student Bible. It says in the front, student Bible. And it's designed for teenagers to help them to get reading the Bible. And so when you open it, instead of the book of Genesis, the first thing you come to, it says reading plans. And so I start flipping through, and it says reading plan through Abraham's life, reading plan through Moses' life, David's. I'm, I don't know who these people are. And, and then finally I see reading plan through Jesus' life. And I thought, okay, I mean, I'll, I'll do that one. I mean, Let's figure this out. Was it Tuesday or Wednesday? Let's do this. And so I, I start going through, reading the chapters it tells me to read in the, in the reading plan. Again, never read a Bible, but, but I assumed it would read like a, a tall tale or a myth, you know, that it would start out once upon a time. And, and then it would say that, you know, Jesus did nice things and did miracles and he had a blue ox named Babe and he could lasso tornadoes and I would throw out the Bible. And, and so I was stunned, like, like stunned when I realized that time and time again, repeatedly, the Bible says at this particular time, in this specific place, Jesus did this thing. Over and over, it'd say, like, um, Jesus went to this town when this guy was the, the, the governor of the town. This guy was the tetrarch of the region. This guy was the high priest, and, and he went into this place, and he did this thing. And, and I start realizing, man, when you give a time and a place, there would be evidence. Not, not Tuesday, Wednesday, but you could go back and look at history and find out if this stuff really happened. I could prove whether this happened or not. And, and so now I'm intrigued, and I keep reading just to find out what the Bible says. And I learned for the first time in my life that the Bible claimed that there was a God who loved me and who wanted to have a relationship with me and bring me to heaven one day. That, that he had sent Jesus so I could have that relationship with him. And Jesus died for Never heard any of that. And I knew that I had to know. I, I would find out if it was true or not. And if it was true, I would become a Christian. And if it wasn't, I would spend the rest of my life making fun of Christians for believing in something that I could prove was false. And so I started uh, reading the Bible and looking at the evidence, trying to find evidence to discredit it. I spent like six, eight, ten hours a day every single day. I was a pre-law major. I did end up going to law school at the University of Illinois. Anyway. See, I, I thought this is the one place I could speak and get a little bit of a cheer, but that wasn't very good. Uh, yeah. um, but uh, I and I. Um, and so I, um, so I just studied and studied and studied. And very quickly I became overwhelmed with all of the evidence that supports the veracity of the Bible. I mean you could prove it's true. And I, I was even more overwhelmed by Jesus. Who was clearly the most amazing and loving, compassionate person I had ever encountered. And I knew that I wanted to follow him. And so I, I, I decided to become a Christian. And I, uh, I, I just realized I don't want to live another day of my life without Jesus, like, right in the middle of it. So it's kind of my, um, that was kind of my whole introduction to Christianity. Now, uh, our blind date, we've broken the ice. You know a little bit about me. Um, and here's what I need to tell you. When I started reading the Bible, as difficult as it was for me to believe that Jesus really walked on water and, uh, you know, and healed blind people and fed 5,000 people with some kid's happy meal. Uh, the most difficult thing for me to believe was the idea that God loved me. And I, I just thought, if there's a God who knows everything, like the Bible claims, then he would know everything about me. And there is no way a God like that could love someone like me. Not after what I've done, not after who I was. And I... I Honestly, I couldn't believe it. 
But really what I did was I said yes to, to what Jesus did for me on the cross. I put my faith in him, but I still didn't believe that God loved me. And, um, and what I've discovered these last 20 or so years is that so many people struggle with the exact same thing. A lot of them are people who are not yet Christians. And the one thing that's really holding them back is this idea that, man, God may be loving, but there's no way he loves someone like me. But, but a lot of them are Christians, show up at church every weekend, but still struggle to believe that God could love someone like me. Do you know that that's part of the reason that Jesus came? That he came not just to die for us, but to also make sure that Everyone knew that God was for everyone. In fact, the, the religious leaders of Jesus' time, the, the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law, that this is what they, they hated about Jesus, is that he was always hanging out with the most sinful people. He was always talking about how God was for everyone. And they would hit him with accusing questions. And, and one time, in response to their questions, Jesus told a trilogy of stories. In Luke chapter 15, he tells the story of the lost sheep, and then a lost coin, and then a lost son. And ever since the first time I read it back in my dorm room, uh, I have been fascinated by the, the story of the lost sheep. So I, I want to read it to you. Uh, we will put the verses on the screens if you want to look up there and check them out. Or you can keep looking at me because I look kind of good on our date today. Valentine's Day weekend, hey! So Luke chapter 15 starting in verse 1. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the, the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. So this story is just very interesting to me. The shepherd has a hundred sheep. Now a hundred is like a lot of sheep, right? I mean, I've been thinking about this. Like, is there anything I own a hundred of? Is there anything you own a hundred of? Hundreds a lot, right? I realize I have at least a hundred books. And if someone came and stole one of my books, I don't think I'd notice. Because I got a hundred of them, right? Or how about this? How, how many parents we have in the room? Parents? Yeah? What if you had a hundred kids? <laughs> Do you think you'd ever realize if one of them just kind of wandered off? <laughs> no, you would not. Not if you had a hundred of them, right? Ch check this out. Um, when I was a kid, my, my parents had two of us, me and my younger sister, Lisa. Uh, one time, they took us out to eat for dinner, and after dinner, they put us in the back seat of the car. They did not seatbelt us in. Now, I've asked my parents about this. This is a, a true story. And, uh, and they say, well, this was like the mid-70s. Nobody used seatbelts back then, which may be true, but I suspect that they just didn't care about us. I don't know. So they, they put my sister in, they put me in, and then uh, they get in the front. Uh, my dad starts the car, pops in the old eight-track tape. Kids, ask your parents on the way home, they'll explain. And uh, so music starts to fill. The car gets loud. Knowing my parents, mid-70s, probably Neil Diamond's greatest hit. So hands, touching hands, reaching out, touching me. Touching you. Do you guys want to sing with me today? Sweet Caroline. Pretty good. Pretty good. 
So my dad puts the car in a drive, starts to pull out of the parking lot. They didn't realize that they hadn't shut my sister's door real well. She was leaning against the door. The door swung open. She fell out of the car. The, the door quietly swung shut. My parents didn't notice. <laughs> and I didn't say a word. <laughs> it's true. I just waved goodbye. So we, we leave the parking lot. We get on the main road. We're driving down the road when finally my, my dad goes, where's Lisa? And I was like, I was like, he got so mad, slammed the brakes, spins the car around, drives back. There is my sister sobbing in the parking lot. She always was a crybaby. <laughs> Listen, my, my parents had two kids, and it took them a while to realize that one of us was missing in a car. <laughs> this shepherd has a hundred sheep, and yet immediately he recognizes that one is missing. And he doesn't just recognize it, he cares. Which I'm like, is it that big a deal? You know, you, uh, you wait till spring, you got a bunch of little baby sheep running around. Uh, a sheep can be replaced. But not in the mind of this shepherd. Not, not in Jesus' story. And, and the reason is because Jesus isn't really telling a story about a shepherd and his sheep. He's using this story as a, a parable or a metaphor. And in the, the story, the shepherd represents God and the sheep represents you. You. And the point of Jesus' story is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, the, the questions of these Pharisees, and he's saying it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why you wandered away from God. It doesn't matter where you wandered off to. It doesn't even matter what you've done. Still, God loves you with a perfect love. God loves you with a perfect love. And so what matters is that you need to be found. That's why a lost sheep can't be replaced. You know, if one of my, I've got two kids now. If one of my two kids wandered off, I would not say to my wife, eh, we could make another one right? And not, not when it's your kid. We actually had something like this happen to us uh, some years ago. We, we took our kids, they were like five and just about three, uh, to a water park. And when your kids are five and three, you don't do the, the cool things. You go to the kiddie pools. And so we, uh, th this park had three big kiddie pools kind of in a row. And so we went to the first one and played in that one for a while. It was pretty fun. And then we walked up the stairs to the sidewalk, walked down maybe like 50 yards or so to the second kiddie pool, played in that one for a while up the stairs of the sidewalk, walked down to the third kiddie pool. My kids loved this pool uh, because it had this big, tall, yellow slide about eight feet high, and you had to climb a rope ladder to get to the top to go down, which is tough for them. And so they were like, up, 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 down, up, 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 down, up, 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 down, over and over. And so um, my wife and I are just kind of standing there. Finally, she says, hey, I'm going to go stand under that mushroom shower umbrella thingy. I was like, all right, go ahead. She, she walked off. My son went up, down, lands. He goes, where's mom? Where's mom? And I said, she's under the mushroom shower umbrella thingy. And he said, can I go get her? I said, yeah, go ahead. So he ran off. My, my daughter proceeds to go up, down, up, down. About 15,000 times. The girl won't quit. And so finally, I'm like, okay, let's go get mom and Dawson. And, and it had been maybe like 10 minutes or so. And so we walked over and my wife was standing under the mushroom shower umbrella thingy. And I said, hey. And she said, hey. I said, where's Dawson? 
She said, he's with you. I said, I sent him over here like maybe almost 10 minutes ago. She said, I haven't seen him. Now you may think I'm weird, but my first instinct was to freak out. Like, like I'm, I'm thinking, uh, man, like I've seen this kind of thing on TV. The water park is the perfect place to abduct a kid. And then I thought, stop, Vince, he's here. He just, he got distracted and the stuff. And so I, I start looking around and the pool is probably almost the size of this room. Um, but I did not see him. There were lots of kids, but not him. I said, no, he's got to be here. He's got to be here. Um, light brown hair. Look for kids with light. Whew, no, um, he's wearing a blue bathing suit. Look for blue bathing suits. And he was not there. And I need to tell you, like, I started freaking out. Like, my heart starts pounding out of my chest. My throat clenches up. And I start thinking, man, I'm never going to see my kid again. I'm never going to hold my kid again. I realize I don't want to live my life without him. Like, I, th- I think I'd rather die than have to live without him. What I did was I, I ran up the stairs to the sidewalk. I thought maybe if I got like an overview of the pool, maybe I'd see him better. And, and so I'm like standing on the sidewalk, and there's tons of people on the sidewalk bumping into me and stuff. But I'm looking in the pool, and, and I, I don't see him. Brown hair, blue bathing suit. And so I start looking all around, and I look down the sidewalk. I looked up the sidewalk. And I thought I saw this kid like weaving between people's legs and, and I couldn't see the color hair or bathing suit. And so it's embarrassing to tell you what I did, but I just started screaming his name just in case it was him. I went, Dawson, Dawson, Dawson. And finally this kid way up the path hears me and, and he does one of these and, and he could see me and, and I could see that it was him. And, and so I just start running through all these people to him and he's running to me. If you want a picture, I think it was probably quite romantic as we ran to each other in this crowd of people. Finally, we get to each other. He just jumps in my arms and he's crying and he, he, like he can't talk. And I say, Dustin, what happened? What's wrong? And he said, I, I, you said Mel was under the mushroom. And so I went to the first pool of the mushroom to get her and I can't find her. And I was like, oh, buddy, I'm so sorry. No, she's under the mushroom in this pool. And I just held him. And I held him. And I held him. And I realized in that moment that I understood what it's like to be God. And those, those thoughts I had had, those feelings I had experienced, wondering, am I ever going to see my kid again? Am I ever going to hold my kid again? Those are the thoughts and feelings that God must have had about me when I was wandering away from him. And those are the thoughts and feelings God has about you when you wander away from him. God has countless children, and that's how he has to feel all the time because so many are lost without him. I I think of what I consider to be maybe the most powerful chapter or passage in in the Bible in Jeremiah chapter 4 where God says, oh my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh the agony of my heart, my heart pounds within me. I cannot keep silent. And you're like, whoa, God doesn't normally talk like this. What's going on? He says, my people are fools. They do not know me. They are senseless children. They have no understanding. And and then he offers an invitation. He says, if you'll return, O Israel, return to me. Saying, come back to me. And this is the point of Jesus' story about the shepherd and and his sheep. The, The point of the story, he's trying to explain to these 
Pharisees, these religious, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why they wandered away from God. It doesn't matter what they've done. It, it, it doesn't matter the, the amount of sin. Still, God loves them with a perfect love. And I want to tell you that God loves you with a perfect love. And, and so what matters is that you need to be found. And, and I'll tell you this, when, when I was finally able to accept and embrace God's perfect love for me, despite all my stuff, it changed my life. I, I think I could say it this way. When I said yes to what Jesus did on the cross for me, it changed my eternity. But it wasn't until some years later when I finally was able to accept and embrace God's love for me that my life here and now was changed. And, and it was dramatically changed. And listen, if you would accept and embrace God's perfect love for you, it would change everything, wouldn't it? Can, can, can you picture being you, living your life that you live, but knowing to the core of who you are that who you are is someone who is loved with a perfect love? You know? it, it wouldn't matter so much how your boss thinks about you or how your spouse talks to you. and Yeah, it still hurt a little bit, but, but deep inside, that couldn't really get to you because you know, I know who I am. You know, I fail at things. It's okay because I am loved with a perfect love. And so I, I want to I say, if you are off wandering, you need to know that God's heart is in anguish and he is searching for you and he will search for you until he finds you. And if you have not accepted it, if you would just embrace God's perfect love for you, it would, it would change everything. It really would. Now, if you're there, if you're like, no, I, I've done that. I've said yes. I, I, I know God loves me despite my, I say, I, I, I've said yes, I know that. Well, then what you need to do is you need to share God's love with others. right? Because it is life-changing and everyone needs to know that God is for everyone. And you think about it, how, how disturbing is it that I lived right here in America for 20 years without anyone ever mentioning Jesus to me, without anyone ever inviting me to church? We need to share God's love with people. We need to let them know. And, and I know for a lot of people, it's like, oh man, that sounds really impossible, and I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I'd have the right words to say, but, but it really doesn't need to be that intimidating at all. So I started a church in Virginia Beach, uh, Virginia, and was there for 12 years before moving to Las Vegas. And one of the things we did with our staff in Virginia Beach is we had everyone take one day a month as a personal retreat day, a, a day of prayer and fasting. You'd fast so you could have more time to pray. And, and the idea was, you know, as a pastor, you spend so much time ministering to other people, focusing on other people, to, to just have one day where it's just like you and God, you're focused on God, and you know, growing your relationship with him. And, and so uh, one time I took my, my prayer and fasting day at um, Burger King. You can laugh at, yeah. Uh, I, I didn't usually, usually I would go to the beach or to a park, but that day it was November, it was cold, although not this cold. And, um, and I, I left my driveway and it started to rain. And I was gonna go to the park and I'm like, I'm not gonna go sit in the rain and, at the park. Where should I go? Where should I go? I don't know where to go. And I saw Burger King, and I thought, it's a real weird place to go to not eat. 
But I mean, I guess I can get a drink and sit in a booth and I had a Bible and um, I, I have a journal. I write down a lot of my prayers and stuff like that. So I thought, I guess I can do that in Burger King. So I went to Burger King, uh, got a drink, went back and got like in this corner booth by myself, opened up my Bible. Uh, right, right about when I did, the, the door of the Burger King opened and this guy walked in and I, I looked up for a second, noticed him. He was, uh, looked extremely poor, probably homeless. And I looked back down at my Bible. The weirdest thing happened, this guy, and there, were, there was a bunch of people around that Burger King, but for some reason he walked directly at me and he started to pace in front of my booth. Like, like he would not break the barriers of my booth. He's just going back and forth in front of my booth. And so I'm sitting there like going like, what is he doing? Like, why is he? And I'm trying to ignore him because like, this is my day for me, you know, and God. And I'm, I don't have to worry about other people today. But, but he just kept pacing in front of my booth and he wouldn't stop. And so finally I'm like, I'm like, excuse me, um, do, do you need something? Can I help you? And, and he started to speak, and I, I couldn't understand everything he said. Uh, he, he was from India, and he spoke broken English, but I got some of it, and then he held up a piece of paper, and it was a job application for Burger King. So, so I was like, oh, like, do you, do you need help filling out this? Do you want to work here? Do you want me to help you fill out the job application? And he said really loud. He said, yes, yes. And I said, I, I could help you. And he was like, thank you, thank you. And I said, sure, sit down. And so we proceeded to fill out this job application, which is easy, right? No, not so much. No. Um, so I'm like, okay, uh, your name? And he says his name. I'm like, you're going to have to spell that. I'm, I'm sorry. So name, uh, I said, okay, your address? He didn't have an address. He's homeless. So you got to put one. I was like, should we just make one up? I'm like, I, I don't know. What do we do here? And, and like references from other jobs. It was just crazy. It took almost an hour. But finally we got done and he was all happy and I handed it to him and he said, thank you, thank you. I said, you're welcome. And he uh, walked off to hand it in. I thought it took you know, a long time, but I thought it was the right thing to do. Good job, Vince. Got my Bible back out, started reading. Like, I don't know, two minutes later, he comes back, and he starts pacing in front of my booth again. Same thing. He won't break the barriers of my booth. And I'm trying to ignore him, but it's weird now because we're friends. We just spent an hour together, you know? And I'm like, I can't ignore him, but like, I'm like, what does he want? And then I thought, maybe he's hungry. So I said, excuse me. I said, have you eaten today? Like, do you, do you need some food? Do you need some money for some food? And he said, yes, yes. And I said, I can help you. And so I got out my wallet and I gave him a few dollars. And um, he, he appreciated it. He really appreciated it. As I handed him the money, he grabbed my wrist and then he reached down for real and grabbed my other wrist and he took my hands and he started to say, thank you, thank you, thank you, as he took my hands and rubbed them all over his body. And so he said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm like, you're welcome. You're, you're, you're welcome. Hands. Touching hands. Reach, get your hands up. Don't, please don't laugh. It wasn't funny. <laughs> so finally, he gives me my hands back, and he goes off to his food, and I was like, whoo! That just happened. That really just happened. I'm like, should I leave? I don't know if I can recover from this. I'm like, okay, stop, stop, stop. It's fine. You're fine. You're fine. <sighs> Got my Bible back out. I don't know, three, four minutes later, he comes walking up with his tray of food. He's like, hello, and he sits down. I'm like, hey, 
put my Bible aside again. And so I, I just thought, man, this guy's lonely and he needs a friend. Just be a friend, Vince. And so I just started asking him questions. How, do you have family back in India? Do you know anyone here? How'd you get to Virginia Beach from India? Just a ton of questions. And, and after a while, he started asking me questions. How did you get to Virginia Beach? Do you have family here? And, and then after a bunch of questions, he points to my Bible. And he says, what's this? So I thought, oh, okay, like this might be cool. Maybe I can tell him about Jesus. And so I grabbed the Bible and I said, well, this is a Bible. And I said, God gave us the Bible so we could know him. I said, and God sent us Jesus so we could, and before I could finish my sentence, he went, Jesus, Jesus? And I said, yeah. And he went, oh, Jesus. And he got out his wallet and he starts to flip through. He's got this collection of like dozens of pictures and baseball cards and things he had cut out of newspapers and magazines, crazy collection. And he flips through and finally he shows me and points through that he has a picture in his wallet of Jesus. Not an actual picture. You, you get it? Yeah, we're good. Yeah. And so he's like, Jesus, Jesus, like really loud. And, and, um, and I'm like thinking, well, he's so excited about Jesus. He must believe in Jesus. So apparently I don't have to tell him about Jesus. And, uh, but, but then he, he starts showing me every other picture and he's totally excited about all of them. He like had like a, a baseball card, I think of Reggie Jackson. And he's like, Reggie Jackson! And uh, David Beckham, he was like, Beckham! He had a picture of B. Arthur. Some of you are gonna be like, who? Um, he, he, had a, he had a picture of a goat and he was like, goat, goat! And I'm like, okay, forget the whole believe in Jesus thing. He's equally excited about the goat, you know? And so I'm like, I'm still gonna try to tell him about Jesus. And so finally he puts his wallet away and he, he got real serious and he looks at me and he says, um, do, do you know what God's name is? And I said, Exactly. I said, that's exactly what I was starting to tell you. God's name is Jesus. And, and before I could continue, he said, no. I said, no. And he said, no. And he said this. He said, God's name is 21. I said, okay. He said, do you understand? I said, yeah, you think God's name is 21. And he said, no, no. <clears throat> um... Name of God, 21. Do you understand? And I said, yeah, you think God's name is 21? And he went, no, no. And like everybody's looking at us. I'm like, I don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he says it again, 21. I'm like, I, I, I said, could you explain? So he starts trying to explain. And I think what he was saying, I think is that he believes there's 21 different world religions that we all think we're worshiping different gods, but really we're all worshiping the same God with just 21 different names, I think. And so when he got done, I said, okay. I said, I, I think I understand what you're saying. I said, I don't believe what you believe. I, I, you, I respect your right to believe that, but I don't believe that. I said, I believe there's one God and we can know him because he came for us. His, his name is Jesus. And he said, no. And I said, I know. And so then he says this. He said, um, do you know who God is today? And so I said, mm-hmm, 21. And he went, no. And I'm like, are you kidding? I'm like, I said that just for you, man. <laughs> and so he says this. He, he says, who is God? God love us. God cares for us. God feed us. Today, you love me. You care for me. You feed me. Today, you are God to me.
you know, in one sense, he was theologically wrong. Okay, I am not God. Ask my wife. <laughs> but, but there is another sense in which he, he was kind of right. Because we are supposed to represent God to this world. Right? The Bible says we're to be the body of Christ. Like we are the physical manifestation of God in this world. We represent God. We share God's love with people. And I want to tell you that you can do that. You can do that. And a lot of times you don't even need to say the words, right? You just, it happens. You can do that. And I want to tell you this. If you do, if you share God's love with people, and especially with people you might not think God is for, with people you might think would never respond to God, you might just be amazed at what happens, at what you learn. Like for me, uh, I have learned that God is for pimps. The first person that we led to, to faith and baptized at our new church in Las Vegas was a pimp. And uh, he has become a radical follower of Jesus. It's, it's a crazy story. And, and I have discovered firsthand that God is for gang members, Britney Spears impersonators, and pole dancing instructors. He's for homeless ex-cons and evil fire-breathing clowns, for atheists, agnostics, Cirque du Soleil aerialists, and neo-Nazi white supremacists. He, he turns out he's for porn stars and for people who work in bars. He's for those who think they're unfit, and he's for the misfits. He's for the underdogs and the overlooked, for the beat up and the burnout, for the least, the lost, the left behind, and the left out. I have learned, because I get to see it every single day, that God is not just for the good, the, the, the church going, the, the pious and religious. It turns out, God is for the rest of us. No one is beyond God's grace. No one. And their lives would be changed by it, forever changed by it, if you'll share it with them. If you'll share it with them. And that's, that's what we're seeing happen all the time at our church in Las Vegas. And, and I want to thank your church for supporting our church financially. And how cool is it that you guys go to a generous church where when you're generous with your money, your church is generous and gives to projects like your project in Mexico that we talked about earlier and, and our mission in Las Vegas. It's awesome. And, and I want to thank you and I want to ask you if you'd pray for us. Uh, it is uh, rewarding, but it's incredibly challenging. And you could actually join our prayer team, which means you'll get a email prayer request emailed to you every day. It's like two sentences long, just a specific thing that you could pray for us that day at pray.vivalaverve.com. Dot org, and we would so appreciate your prayers. Would you pray that we can continue to share the love of God with people who work on and live around the Las Vegas Strip? And I'm going to pray the same for you with the people that God puts into your life. Because, listen, God's heart is in agony over his wandering children who need to be found. And God really is for the rest of us. And God's love is perfect and it's life-changing and everyone needs to know it. Everyone needs to experience it. It's what your uh, coworkers and your neighbors and your friends and your family members have been longing for their entire lives. Even if they don't realize that, even if they would never admit that. And it will absolutely change their lives if you'll share it with them.
And it would absolutely change your life if you just say yes. If you say yes to what Jesus did for you on the cross and you accept and embrace God's perfect love for you and then start sharing it with others, it will change your life. So let's, let's pray for that right now. Let's pray. God, thank you that uh, your love is perfect, that is um, deeper than our greatest sin, that we are not defined by what we've done, but we are defined by your love. We are the ones you love, you died for. God, um, my, my guess is that there are people in this room who have never said yes to you, who have never put their faith in you and embraced what you did on the cross for us, and maybe today's the day. God, for the rest of us, I pray that we would leave here feeling compelled to share your love with others. Not in any weird or obnoxious ways, but just by showing people your love and looking for opportunities to graciously share with them what you've done in our lives and what you can do in theirs. God, thanks so much for this church. I pray it would continue to see amazing things happen and I pray that all of us would leave here uh, committed to a life on mission. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.